Welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect, a podcast about practice. My name is Jeremy, and today I get to introduce you to Jen Pilati. I first met Jen through a group called Think Movement. We both write articles for it on their website, we've been on group calls and bounced some ideas around, but we've never actually had a chance to sit down one-on-one. So this was our first conversation where we could really uh, dig into some of the stuff we're both really passionate about. It was super fun. Jen, if you're listening, thanks so much for coming on. I had a great time. So over the last couple decades, Jen has basically done everything. She's been coaching clients one-on-one for those 20 years. She's run her own studio, written a book, and is working on multiple others. She teaches workshops. She writes for multiple websites. I don't think I could tell you about everything that Jen has done. But in this conversation, we get to dig into something much newer. This year, Jen has been learning pole. So she has this depth of knowledge to draw on, but also the beginner's mindset. It's so easy for people who have been doing something for a long time to forget what it's like to be new at that thing. So we got to kind of talk about it from both sides, which was super fun. We talk about how flow and mindfulness relate to learning, walking into a pole studio in your 40s, and finding a practice that lights you up. Can't wait for you to listen. Let's get into it. Jen, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Jeremy. I actually got a DM and someone recommended you. And I was like, oh, of course, she's already on my list. Like, no problem. (laughs) And then like five minutes later, you DM'd me to recommend (laughs) Chris, our mutual friend, who will also be coming on definitely. And I was like, all right, this has to this has to happen immediately. (laughs) So. I will have introduced you uh, with with some detail of your background before all of this, but the the place I thought it would make sense to start is you've been like training, teaching others, writing about movement in various ways, reading research for at least two decades, as far as I can tell. Yes. But I was hoping to talk to you about something way, way newer, which is <laughs> your pole practice, learning to pole dance. <laughs> I am so excited about this topic. You have no idea. (laughs) I love it. I love like catching people who have a deep background at a time when they're super interested in the thing right now. Yes, exactly. Which is what learning does, right? It kind of renews that spark a little bit. At least it does for me. Yeah. You talk a lot, like I read from your website, some keywords about awareness and mindfulness. And I've seen you post a ton of research that you're reading whether for your own writing or for just maybe interest. Um, Does all of that play into poll and your experience this year? It absolutely does. One of the things I, did you read Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler? No. So he, I don't know if you know who Stephen Kotler is, but he's really big into like the flow research. That's his whole thing. And in Stealing Fire, there was this really fascinating little section where he talked about one of the easiest ways to tap into flow is to do something slightly dangerous and flipping upside down for some reason for some people seems to really trigger that. Prior to doing pole, I had been doing handstands, not well, but I've been practicing handstands for a while. And that seems to be true for me. There is something about that going upside down, you know, not quite knowing where your body is in space or how it's going to land that makes me focused. Mm -hmm. And I love that. (laughs) 
That's awesome. So it's kind of a little bit of danger, like just the right dose and a new, new orientation, new perspective. Exactly. Yes. And if you're not one of, and I, I know you do handstands, so I'm sure you've experienced this when you're trying to figure out, okay, I need to organize my hand here and my other leg needs to go here. And then I need to, you can't think about all of those steps Mm -hmm. while you're doing it, right? You have to just do it. And that requires a high degree of awareness. And I really like that whole aspect. Okay. That is something I've honestly wondered a lot about your work. So in the terminology that I've read about, we're kind of talking about internal focus of attention and external. So let's say I'm trying to juggle is kind of my go-to example. If I try to teach a beginner to juggle and I say, make sure your forearm is here and your shoulder feels like this and your neck doesn't do this, they will be (laughs) totally lost. But if I say, try to catch the ball, they'll have a much better chance of catching the ball. So an external focus. Yes. And in your work, I kind of see a lot of both. So I'm curious how you think about it, like deep mindfulness and awareness and concentration on what you're doing, but also an appreciation for the task and what needs to be done. Yes. And there's so much value in both. And I have gone down the rabbit hole of research, of reading the research within these fields, Mm -hmm. both within movement, but then also within just the science of learning, because I find it all really fascinating. And the crazy thing that I find is what they're finding with people in terms of understanding an internal focus, it tends to be more advanced practitioners who can do that. You know, it's like you're saying, like if you ask the advanced juggler, okay, now I need you to just shift your right shoulder the tiniest bit, they're gonna be able to do that. Right. But the beginner, there's way too much going on in that cognitive phase of learning. You have to be able to just simply organize your joints well enough, like you said, to catch the ball, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what do you want me to do right now? (laughs) Totally. And even I was um, looking at video playback of myself. So I've been doing pull for seven months and I was watching video feedback of myself yesterday. I was working on a little combination and I noticed my feet were doing this weird thing, which they do when I'm learning something. Totally. And I thought to myself, okay, well, can I change my foot position and still do this combination? And I was able to, which for me was actually a big step because prior to probably this month, I couldn't think about my foot position at all. I just had to think about, okay, where's the pole? Where am I? (laughs) This is super interesting. Like you're simultaneously acting as the way you're describing an expert and a beginner. So it's like you're figuring something out and then you're watching yourself go from beginner to not beginner, like way faster than a normal beginner. (laughs) Which, and that's just transfer of knowledge, right? Which I think as an adult learner, children learn really quickly because of the plasticity in their brain. It's just the way it works, right? Mm -hmm. So then as an adult learner, I think often we kind of put this barrier up for ourselves. Like I can't be a beginner at something. It's going to take me too long but you forget that you're coming at this thing with all of this other knowledge that you can draw into what you're learning, which can allow you to kind of expedite the process a little bit if you let yourself. I love that. It reminds me of like the argument or discussion of specialties versus general generalization. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it sounds nice to do everything and be good at everything. (laughs) But there are certain things you can't learn and you can't expose yourself to until you've been doing an activity for a long enough period of time. 
And what you're mm -hmm. describing is like, you can then take those lessons and bring them elsewhere. And you can be more of a generalist whenever you choose to be. Yes, exactly. And I do think that is partially approaching things with kind of that open mindedness and curiosity, yeah. which is another aspect of mindfulness, right? The observation without judgment. If we allow ourselves to do that rather than tearing ourselves apart when we see ourselves not doing something perfectly the first time, which so many people do, then I think the learning process is so much more enjoyable and again, a little bit faster. Okay, so Jen, you know, deep background in movement, teaching, reading research, literally writing books on movement, and then <laughs> she starts pull, and it's like, okay, this is something I could theoretically be able to do. I've been upside down, I've done a bunch of strength training, all this stuff, but can you take me away from expert Jen for a moment and take me into like your first pull session? I'm guessing it was a little bit messier than some of your other <laughs> expert level things. Oh, I'm not someone who's naturally good at anything, which <laughs> I do think is actually kind of helpful because whenever I go into a new situation like this, I just expect that it's not going to be. Yes, know? I can totally relate. I love that. <laughs> and I don't even fully remember what I did the first class, except that we did some spinning around the pole and we did some, you know, something with like the back leg on the pole. And I remember at the time, just again, being really immersed in the moment and thinking, ah, this is what's been missing from my movement practice because I like skill-based training. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the hard things, I don't know if you experienced this, one of the hard things when you've been doing, when you've been in a field for a long time is you get exposed to a lot of similar things and you gravitate towards what you kind of like and you know, the, the novelty isn't quite there. Definitely. And there's something about that novelty for me that, I, again, it just, it was so intriguing that first class. I'm like, okay, this is, I bought like a five pack right away and then quickly ended up on like the unlimited monthly series. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Started buying polls tutorials on online. <laughs> Amazing. Definitely diving in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And it sounds like the pull itself probably plays a role here, like that external focus of attention. You walk into a room with a different apparatus and you don't even have to like have touched it yet. You already probably feel different than walking into a gym or your home studio or anything like that. For sure, especially since I'd never used one before. I've, I had taken an aerial silks class, so I was comfortable with some of the ideas but a pole is a vertical stationary object. And for me, the, which is, seems so crazy to say, but the opportunities with what you could do with it seemed limitless. I'm like, this is so cool. Like this just stationary vertical thing. There's so many things I could do with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say- So then I ended up with one in the house. You know how this all goes. <laughs> <laughs> Such is life. So. <laughs> You have, I guess, like you have the self-efficacy and confidence, like I've learned a bunch of new things before I can learn another new thing. But then you also have the physical capacity that you've developed in terms of strength and flexibility. What do you think has been most useful in being able to take on this new endeavor? I will say that I'm not a naturally flexible person. So I'm not someone that's going to rely on flexibility to get into things. I am someone who's naturally strong mm -hmm. and I do a lot of pull-ups. And like I said, I do a lot of handstands. So <laughs> when I was first learning to do things like 
pull myself upside down on the pole and climb up the pole, I could rely purely on strength, which a lot of people can't. Mm -hmm. They have to actually, and this is kind of a double-edged sword. They actually have to learn the technique to make it look pretty and to do it easily. Me, I was, you know, I I had multiple teachers, especially the first three months. They're like, Jen, you can't climb up this thing like it's a rope. Like you (laughs) (laughs) Take advantage of the fact that it's grounded. (laughs) Yes, use your legs. You don't have to like muscle yourself up there, you know? make it a little bit pretty. And I'm like, really? Like I can just pull myself up though. So, you know, all of that was actually interesting from someone who already had the strength to like step back and say, okay, how can I actually approach this with a more beginner's mindset and learn the technique that I'm supposed to and, you know, all of that. So I'm hearing this like um, dichotomy or maybe harmony between a like scientist and a playful I don't know, uh, a wondrous kid, maybe. I I feel like you're an actual scientist as opposed to what we picture scientists as, where like everything is like totally organized in a spreadsheet and you you do thousands and thousands of studies and check everything off in boxes. But in reality, scientists are like very curious and will try things and and break things. And is that, does that kind of make sense with your practice? Oh my goodness, for sure. And I, so my work with clients, I actually train a woman who has her PhD in biochemistry and she's very funny because she has a lot of interesting things going on. So I'm constantly tinkering with her and she's told me, she's like, I feel like this is just like one giant laboratory for you because I see your wheels start going and then I see you start trying something. (laughs) Cause if you get too boxed in, you lose all the other stuff out there, you know? So coming back to poll, how, like, to what extent are you thinking about, you know, learning research when, when you walk into a poll studio and versus just like, I'm going to try this thing? I'm very much of the mindset that you should let the learning research go and just say, I'm going to try this thing. Cool. And especially when you like, because I can be very picky, particular about teachers and things, but. I moved to a new place. I knew nothing about any of the teachers. And I told myself when I walked in, I'm like, I'm going to walk in. I don't care what their backgrounds are. I don't care if they're experts at, you know, I'm just going to learn. I'm just going to try to do this with a really open mind and see what happens. Cool. So it sounds like it wasn't very hard for you maybe, but kind of leaving your (laughs) ego at the door, like for a lot of people with a deep background, you'd walk in with all kinds of expectations and standards that you're you're expecting of other people and you were like i'm just gonna go give it a shot and see what happens yes and i think preconceived notions can really alter a person's experience not always for the better so i really made an effort to like you said check the ego at the door and just be really just open just okay whatever this is is gonna be it's gonna be great cool so i'd love to get a little more specific partially because i have no experience pole dancing um, and partially just cause I think it'll, it'll be helpful p- for people to kind of relate to what you're talking about. Could we talk about like a specific skill or sequence that you've worked on that either like felt really good or was really hard? Yes. So the thing that I took to probably more, much more quickly, I think than most people learning pole, but also that I really, really liked was inverting, mm-hmm. which is holding onto the pole with one forearm, and there's a number of ways to do it, but the more standard ways, hold onto the uh, pole more and more with your armpit. And with one hand, 
flip your legs up overhead and then you catch the pole with one leg. Wow. Okay, so, wait, can we slow down a bit? So absolutely. especially for people who can't see you. <laughs> so you stick a pole in your armpit. <laughs> you stick a pole in your armpit. You hold on to it. So you've got your palm facing towards you. You're pulling it down, mm -hmm. right? And you've got the other hand on top of the stationary hand. Then you can lean back mm -hmm. like you're going to do a backflip and your feet flip over your body and you catch the pole with the outside leg. Gotcha. Okay. So at least to me, that is making sense. Hopefully to some other people too. <laughs> okay. And so you said you took to this pretty quickly. What was it most similar to that you had experienced before? Skin the cat on the rings. Okay, cool. So you're hanging yeah. from the rings, lifting your legs up until you're upside down. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And then I've always liked to play in that inverted hang position. Mm-hmm. Um, on the rings, it's just something that's always felt good to me, you know, doing different things with your legs and, you know, whatever else. So I was, again, kind of comfortable in that orientation and getting that transition of getting your hips over your shoulders yep. is can be really tricky. Well, it's same with like press handstand, right, which I cannot I cannot do. But it's that same like you have to be able to get the hips over the shoulders to make that happen. Yeah. That's really interesting. So flipping, like inverting is a perfect word for it. Um, it can be done slowly and with lots of strength, like in a press handstand. It can be done quickly with a lot of force, like in a backflip. So for learning it on the pole, either like what was recommended to you or what you found worked, was it more of a jump or more of a pull? It was more of a pull and it was very funny. I had not tried it before. And I was in a workshop that was probably out of my league. I had <laughs> messaged the instructor and said, Hey, I kind of want to come to this, but I've only been doing pole for like a month and a half. And she's like, cool, come. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And she's, she's explaining, she's like, okay. So, and she's looking at me, she's like, now you haven't done this before. So I'll give you a modification. And I took the pole and I'm like, Oh, like this. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> she's like, yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but there's other things that were the simple twirling around the pole. You hold on to the pole and you spin your legs around the pole in a lot of different orientations. That is still silly hard for me. Hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, I had actually someone, I got a private lesson from someone who's quite, quite an advanced pole teacher. And she laughed. She's like, you know, she's like, we're going to help. I'm going to help you with this. But she's like, it's funny that this is what's like tripping you up. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense coming from a deep background in other areas. It would make sense that you would just have a very different path from a typical beginner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the at the beginning, like I still go to the foundations classes on occasion, like the, you know, the level ones, just because those twirls are hard for me. And I think that I, you know, it's helpful to have a foundation on which to build on. Cool. So I'm imagining people listening to this are, are picturing each of us in certain ways, right? They're like, <laughs> all right, what do they look like? How old are they? What can they do? Like, they're like checking out your Instagram and like, what is she talking about? Um, but when we talked about a theme for our conversation, we talked about learning pole in your 40s. Yes. So what, I mean, other than the fact that you are in your 40s, what does that mean to you? And what has that experience been like? It's so interesting. I don't know. Are you, are you in the, your 30s? I'm assuming. 30s, yeah. Yeah. 
So there's this interesting idea that, I don't know if you've experienced this yet, that when you get to a certain age, there's certain activities that should be kind of off limits, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and you're you're done. (laughs) Totally. You're going to hurt yourself. You're not capable of learning these sorts of things, you know, whatever. And I, and it's funny because I've always been like the young person in the room learning the thing. Mm -hmm. So I knew when I, even before I walked into the studio, because I'm, we moved to Bend, Oregon, which is a very young community, very vibrant, very energetic. And the median age is 38 and a half, which is very different than where I lived before, where the median age was probably like 67. So I'd already gone from being like the young one to being like more the the like medium aged one. And I knew walking into a pole studio, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be like the old woman in this class. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, like I walked in and it's mostly like young 20 somethings who are super flexible, you know, um, they all had a variety of different body types, but you know, young and bendy and, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not that person. So we're just going to see how this goes. <laughs> Let's play this out. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, it was that part was really interesting was to be like, okay, how can I kind of let go of the fact that I know that I'm on the older side and just immerse myself in the experience and enjoy it. Cool. So hopefully you're providing, you know, a little representation for someone who might want to try something like pole, whatever their situation. But could you talk about what was or wasn't needed physically or, or mentally? Like what would you recommend someone have before walking into a pole studio? You know, I think you can build a lot of the skills. What I what I have found really interesting with the pole community is a lot of the individuals who seem to be initially drawn to it don't like the act of exercising. Mm-hmm. I'm using air quotes here. And what, find, what brings them to pole is the fact that they're like, okay, I can actually move my body in a way that feels really enjoyable and it's not traditional exercise, again, air quotes which I can appreciate. However, having watched people and kind of watched where they get stuck as I've been able to kind of progress in certain areas and not in others, having a baseline of strength, I think makes a lot of the skills a lot easier. And you don't have to be super strong, but having just a, just a basic baseline is gonna make maybe the experience a little more enjoyable when yeah. you're first learning. And I feel like that's, you know, we could talk about any activity. We mentioned capacity earlier, like whether you require strength or flexibility, cardio, whatever you have, you can bring that to a new activity. But I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. So let's say you didn't have, you know, (laughs) decades of strength training under your belt. What if instead you found yourself in your 40s with decades of pole experience? Do you think one could develop that strength kind of in the other, the opposite order? Oh, for sure. Well, I think if you've got decades of pull experience, you have way more strength than you know you have. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you've never stepped foot in the gym, because there is a lot of strength required to manipulate your body around a pull and moving up and down it, you know? Yeah. So you're going to probably naturally take to things like any pulling activity which is so different. I, I did yoga for a long time. And in the yoga world, they're always talking about how you need more pulling strength. That's what you need, you know, because you do so much pushing. Yep. It's kind of the opposite in the pull world. There's so much pulling. <laughs> so maybe some of the pushing activities would be a little more challenging for you, but it would be, you know, it would help balance things out. 
Because I do think when we talked about like generalist, generalists versus specialists, one of the areas specialists get into trouble, not trouble, but where you start to see some of the repetitive use stuff happening and some of the weird little tweaks is they just, they're not, they haven't created enough variety in their practice to be a little more well-rounded and balanced physically. Mm-hmm. So. That reminds me of what you I were think, saying. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and I think with pull, it's important to do some leg work just because you not having your feet on the ground for an entire, you know, if that's your main activity, like grounding is such an important aspect to, life. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the way you talked about getting into pull, you had kind of a self-awareness of what you have enjoyed doing, what you're naturally suited to. And you were like, this thing makes sense. And now you've talked about, you know, the folks who don't like exercise as they currently see it, which I totally get because we've yes. kind of turned exercise into like this pill you have to take. Um, yes. <laughs> but thinking about those people, how might one try to find an activity, whether it's pull or anything else? Do you have any advice for someone who's like, yeah, I want to find the thing that I get as excited as Jen does when she talks about pull that I can do that isn't exercise? I think the key with that is if you look back over, especially when you were a child, like, did you like anything during recess? If you were the kid that read in the corner during recess, then, you know, you might have to work a little bit harder to find the thing. And I was that kid too, but I always flipped up inside upside down on the bars. Like that was what I did. Like I was, I was like, oh, say, cool. I picture you as a reader. For <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> I was definitely a reader. But then like cherry drops and death drops and the monkey bars, like all of that, again, I always enjoyed. So again, this is not like a far stretch from mm-hmm. what I enjoyed as a child. So if you look at your childhood and you think to yourself, was there anything I did with my body when I was a young, young person that I truly enjoyed, that truly brought me joy, where I would lose track of time and, you know, my parents would have to say, you know, it's time to get inside. Um, If you can think back to what that might be and say, okay, well, now I'm an adult and maybe that exact option isn't available to me, but something something similar probably still is. And find that thing. Yeah, that's really interesting to think back on. Like I have had plenty of practices I've found and fallen in love with, but thinking back to like before I ever started juggling, I'd have to go really far back. Um, (laughs) And it was really, for me, it was like uh, getting grass stains, playing team sports at recess um, and like being the smallest person and trying to compete with bigger people was always enjoyable. So that's something to think about like, How can I get back to that like seven-year-old version of myself? Yes, because we all have that that joy and wonder inside of us. And I think tapping into it is so important, you know? Yeah, I really like that. So you did find pull eventually. Um, Let's see, we're we're talking right now in August of 2022. Was it this year that you started? Yes, in January. Okay, wow. So you've... I don't know, maybe you're like an infant in your your pole journey. Totally. (laughs) Um, What does the present, let's go there first and then we can maybe talk about the future. But like right now, are you um, just going to enjoy it? Do you have certain goals around skills? What's your current approach? I am. It's kind of a little bit of both because I do like skills. One of the things I've found a little bit challenging in the way pole is taught 
is one of the teachers is awesome. She'll be like, okay, we're going to go over what we covered last week. So I actually get kind of that repetitiveness. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the classes you go, you learn something, and then you might not see it again for two months, which is one of the reasons I got the poll in the house, because I'm like, okay, if I can remember one of the things that I learned from class two days ago, I'm in a good spot. (laughs) (laughs) So I like that. I like a little bit of repeated exposure, but I also like all the new stuff. Like, I think that's important. Um, So it's kind of a little bit of both. Long answer to your question. (laughs) Yeah. And do you see that as sustainable? Like I wanted to ask about the future next, but is that kind of just how you see your approach to poll and how it'll stay? I know. Well, it'll be interesting to see actually. Typically for me, I will get really into like one aspect Mm -hmm. and want to get really good at that aspect. (laughs) (laughs) And so I will still go to classes, but I will drill that specific thing like over and over again until I can do it. (laughs) I, I suspect there will probably be some skills that are that are like that. I also know that, again, for me, I'm not super interested because I do run, I do other activities. I'm not super interested in extending my mobility to such a point that it's going to impact other areas of my life. So some of the higher level skills do require require like front splits and side splits. I'm probably not going to get those. And I'm okay with that. Interesting. So pull as an activity if we just look at like the constraints that it presents it's like okay you have this immovable vertical thing and you have to figure out what to do with it um (laughs) so as an activity you know there's no reason you should have to do a split to pull yourself up on a pole or climb it or circle around it or dance with it but for certain skills that have been like codified it's just this is a split variation and if you don't have a split you can't do it (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And there's certain transitions that kind of go through that, you know, Mm -hmm. that pass through that and whatever. And again, they're higher level. They're not where I am now, but I've watched enough videos to know. I'm like, okay, there will be a certain point where I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to just kind of hang out where I am and enjoy where I am and be here. Cool. That seems like another theme of self-efficacy. I was talking to Gabriel Colby yesterday, musician, and he was talking about like, being able to recognize the things that he doesn't want to put in the work to be able to do. It's like, I know I could get better at this individual piece of, let's say, rock climbing, um, but I don't, I'm not ready to put in that work. I have other priorities. And that's such an important thing to be able to recognize. You're like, I'm loving this pole practice, but I can love it in my own way. I don't need to do all the certain skills that other people like to do. Yes. And I will say, do think that comes a little bit with wisdom. I think that is one of the benefits of being in my early 40s learning mm-hmm. this. I can imagine that if I were in my 20s, I would be pretty caught up in trying to get, you know, all the skills. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> and that would be fair. And then you'd probably reflect totally. on that in your 40s and, and have some interesting perspective on it. <laughs> so a question that I, <laughs> it, it sounds negative, but I think it's kind of an important part of everyone's practice is like, it's a really fun activity. You love it. You feel strong. You're comfortable doing it. And I'm sure there are days when you show up or maybe you don't show show up and you're just not feeling it. Like you're underslept, you're stressed, your body feels tired or sore. How do you treat days like that? 
I'm a little unusual in this okay. regard. Like I know that I know that this is a thing for people. I, I I work with people who have this. This is not a thing I seem to have. Hmm. I it's a weird it's a weird I don't know if it's a self discipline thing. I have no idea. Like on and it, I've been running since I was 16, and it's an interesting thing because people ask me, "What about the days where you don't want to run?" I'm like, "There are days <laughs> where that happens." <laughs> Wow. I just roll out of bed and go for my run. I just know it's Tuesday. I go to pull class. Like I, I don't, I, there's no. <laughs> that is remarkable. Okay. I like, I try not to make assumptions about people, but I was like, this is a safe assumption. Like there must be bad days. <laughs> and you're like, nope. Wow. I have only had days where I don't want to run. I've never experienced any other kind of day. <laughs> oh, I, and running's not for everybody, but yeah, no, it's, and I think maybe maybe this is part of the mindfulness thing when you know something is going to make you feel a certain way at the end, mm -hmm. you know it because you've observed it so many times. I think maybe that's why I, I know how I'm going to feel when I finish. So it makes the starting just, you know, wow, that's great. I, I mean, that's a, a useful tool. Like think about how you're going to feel at the end or think about how you felt at the end of last, last week's poll class. But I feel yeah. like even being able to say that doesn't actually get it done, right? Like it's <laughs> it's a lot easier to say that than to actually feel what you're going to feel at the end. This is this is very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question. There's like a pair of questions that I think I'll ask everyone. You're literally the second person I, I've uh, interviewed like this. But are there any? Or what is the biggest, if any, frustration in your poll practice? Like, what is the most frustrating moment that can happen in a poll class? For me, I think it's when I'm really close to getting a specific skill. There was something I was working on last week, and <laughs> I couldn't quite do it. And I could feel myself getting frustrated, and I tried it several times, and it was one of those things where I thought to myself later, I'm like, I could practice this at home and get it, but I'm so irritated that I didn't get it right now that I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, and I suspect there will be more of that, which is actually, I think that's really healthy to, you know, not get something. Yeah. You get something a lot of, you get something most of the time, but then sometimes you don't, you're like, all right, well, that makes me human. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. I noticed for myself when, when I take to something and I fail in whatever way and then I'm okay with it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be hooked on this thing, right? Like, <laughs> like I take to juggling, I drop some stuff and then I smile. I'm like, I'm going to do this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's because it's interesting when that happens? Um, I think part of it is purely practical. Like you're going to fail. And so if failure makes you want to stop, then you're less likely to keep going. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think the other side is like, oh, there's something really interesting about this. And I might not have even been aware of that yet. It's like a, it's a symptom of being interested in it and you don't have, it doesn't have to be conscious. Yeah, that's cool. So on the flip side, it sounds like most of your experiences with Pole are pretty positive. Can you describe like, the best feeling possible, like that flow moment, take me into the studio with you or wherever you're practicing, the peak pole experience. Mm, it's probably, 
it's probably when I'm practicing by myself mm-hmm. and because then it's, I find it's a little easier to tap into more of that flow type state. And I've got some good music playing in my headphones and everything just kind of comes together. Like you have this image, you know, I want to link these three moves together. And you know how sometimes that goes, you have this image in your head and it doesn't work <laughs> out at all. <laughs> but you have this image in your head, you've got this music playing and you try those three moves and you link them together and it works really well. And you think, ooh, can I make that even smoother? That's probably the best experience for me. Cool. I'm really interested in this idea of practicing alone as as a juggler. It's very familiar. The like the stereotype when you picture a high level juggler is in an empty racquetball court with high ceilings and nobody, (laughs) nobody around. Um, so you've practiced a lot of other things. Obviously you've been running since you were 16. You've done a lot of yoga strength training. Is that kind of your, like when you're in your element, you're alone listening to music. Definitely. And I don't listen to music when I run curiously enough. Mm. I prefer just to listen to the ambient noise outside, but everything else. Yeah. I'm alone listening to music and it's like everything I've been trying to figure out just kind of, falls into place and you know and i'm sure you've experienced this juggling time falls away you're just kind of in the moment and four songs later i'm like oh whoa i've actually (laughs) got something i've got to do okay (laughs) very familiar so with let's say when you take a group class or when you're meeting up with other coaches or you're at a workshop or something maybe you're not quite as much in your element, like your, your deep practice mode. What's an example of a skill where that's, that's fine. You're like, I'd probably rather be on my own, but I'm totally comfortable with others. And then maybe one where you're like, Nope, this is just something that I do by myself. And that's that. I would say, well, I think and sometimes that little bit of tactile feedback or that little bit of verbal instruction from a coach can be so incredibly helpful mm-hmm. because even though I do film myself and watch feedback and, you know, think, okay, how can I make that better next time based on what I'm seeing, the, a coach or a teacher can see something you can't, especially if they're experienced in the thing. So having just, I mean, I, when I, I said I like flipping upside down and I took to it very easily, but one of the teachers at the studio said to me, she said, you know, if you look back and really arch your thoracic spine back, look backwards like you're going that way. It's gonna be so much easier to get your legs over your head. You're already doing it, but like, you know, you'll be able to set your shoulder blades better. And that was huge. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't gonna figure that out on my own. So that was super helpful. So I definitely think that there's a lot of value in instruction. Um, Having said that, I also think there's a lot of value in letting your head just kind of figure things out. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a time and a place for both. I think people are often too reliant on one versus the other. And again, just kind of allowing space for both in one's life can be really helpful. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of the name of this this podcast that we're on right now. (laughs) Nothing makes perfect. How do you relate to, you mentioned repetition also earlier, which kind of relates to perfection. Um, How do you relate to the idea of perfection in a practice like pole? This is where reading all the learning research is actually super helpful. I know that random order practice is really effective. I know this. So, (laughs) which is great. So, (laughs) it is not unusual for me to take a five minute break during my day to work on a specific skill that I've been exposed to that I want to get. 
And I know that just five minutes is actually going to make way more of a difference than me trying to hammer it out for 45. <laughs> right. So wait, can you distinguish for folks what would be like the more traditional and opposite of that? <laughs> would be to, so if you're trying to work on a specific skill, would be to say, okay, I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes repeating this skill over and over and over again until I get it. And the brain needs a little space to figure things out. So it turns out, and I know you know all of this, like, you know, random order practice means doing things kind of at random intervals, actually. And you can do this within a class too. You can learn a skill in the very beginning, work on several different skills, and then come back to that beginning skill at the end of class. Often it'll feel easier even though you haven't worked on it. Yeah, I like that. So you're kind of, it feels like you're writing a manual for how to not bang your head against the wall in practice. <laughs> Maybe that's the title of your next book. <laughs> well, I think learning, I, learning can be so enjoyable, again, if we give it the space to be. Nice. I do actually want to ask about your book. This is basically like a total detour. Tell me about, I don't know, you seem, you seem like such a practitioner. You seem like someone who wants to like get into the studio and practice. Um, so what is writer Jen like? Uh, very similar. Okay. <laughs> and I think one of the benefits of having a movement practice for all of these years is it allows, I'm, I'm a good focuser. I'm a terrible multitasker. Like, I don't know how people multitask on anything. Like I focus on one thing and I'm immersed in it and that's that. Like, so that's how I am when I write. And I, don't and this this podcast isn't about writing but um the way i kind of sequence writing especially when i'm writing something long like a book it's probably different than the way most people do. <laughs> okay tell me more <laughs> um because a lot of people will do their research before they do their writing i often start writing and I'll start writing about a subject and I'll start reading the research about it. And I let that kind of determine where the writing is going to go hmm. because I'm, I let my curiosity kind of, you know, dictate. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It does remind me of that like playful scientist we talked about earlier. So that's interesting to see that it shows up in, in multiple areas. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed when you described being able to focus versus multitasking because it felt like you were giving me a therapy session all of a sudden. Like when my partner listens to this episode, she's going to be like, wow, <laughs> she'll make fun of me. Cause I'll be like, we'll be having a conversation and I'm supposed to be like chopping a vegetable. And 10 minutes later, I'm just like, I'm like not in the kitchen anymore, <laughs> but I can focus on a juggling practice and like nothing else in the world exists. Yes. No, it's a weird, I mean, my husband knows and it's terrible. My husband and my sister, who are the two people I talk to the most, they can tell when I'm not actually listening to them because <laughs> when I listen, I'm there with my whole entire being. Yep. But if there's anything else like taking my attention, I'm suddenly not there. Like it's, it's horrible. <laughs> uh, the superpower of focus is also your downfall when relating to other humans. <laughs> totally. That's so funny. So uh, your book is Body, Mind, Movement, An Evidence-Based Approach to Mindful Movement, which again goes back yes. to this like playful science. It's, you got to be the practitioner. You got to like get your hands dirty, but there's this whole evidence base to support it. I, I wish I had read it. I haven't read it. It looks beautiful. I was looking into it. Um, so I'll have to get on that after this conversation. Um, (laughs) 
But yeah, can you connect anything from that to our actual conversation about pull? Um, like where does that book, um, support you in your practice? Understanding. I really went into, um, interoception and proprioception in that book. And those two concepts are huge for movement practice and they're huge for a mindfulness practice and they're huge for any sort of awareness practice. So interoception and proprioception, I think that my deep dive into those, understanding those concepts was, was they, it is incredibly helpful for the pole journey. Can you give like a fifth grader working definition of each of them? (laughs) Yes. Interoception. What's happening happening inside? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I a little dehydrated? Mm-hmm. You know, proprioception, unconscious awareness of where your body is in space. So you're flipping upside down on the pole and your body has its own understanding of where it is. You don't need to be thinking, am I upside down right now? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like we were talking, I don't need to think about where's my right hand, you know, where's my, it all just take care of itself. My brain knows. Cool. Jen, is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that I'm supposed to ask? <laughs> I don't think so. I will say, Jeremy, if you because I know you've done circus. So if you ever have the opportunity to spin around a pole, I think you might actually like it. It's kind of fun. Cool. I think <laughs> I think I will have to seek out that opportunity at some point. It does sound really fun. Um, if I can both get upside down and geek out, I'm probably going to enjoy the practice. Totally. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much. Really enjoy talking to you, whether it's recorded or not. Appreciate your time. Thank you. 